0: The pathway is broken. The signs are. Un-
1: challenges is not a one-size-fits-all. They come in a million different forms and all of them hurt.
2: And we want you to know that whatever your situation, there's hope and you're not alone.
1: That's right. You will get through this. Please believe that you can experience happiness and true joy once again.
2: Welcome to Living a Joy-Filled Life.
1: Brought to you by Thrive.org. Today's episode is Ginny Owens, Singing in the Dark. And it includes Ginny's story, an inspiring story of overcoming the loss of her eyesight after an operation at three years old and learning to live and succeed as a blind woman Well, she is a beautiful soul, don't you think, Melinda?
2: I do. I love this interview. What an incredible example of how faith can reshape the way one looks at the world.
1: Absolutely. You know, and as a CCM or Christian contemporary musician, Ginny sings songs of encouragement and faith and has a new album out about being a blind musician entitled Singing in the Dark. But boy, there is so much more to her story.
2: There is. I love how she recounts uh, how she's navigated life's difficult challenges. One of her concepts is cultivating habits of hope. And I can tell you as a clinician, this is very compelling and important advice for us all. Mm.
1: And you know, personally, I just love her grit and her perseverance Mm -hmm. as she recounts childhood stories and navigating through some heartbreaking and heartwarming challenges
2: yes jenny calls this inner grit that she learned from her mom i just love that this toughness and her life experience i also feel has compelled her to reach out and help others one of my favorite quotes from this interview is giving always gives back to you
1: Mm. so if you're listening and you're struggling with life challenges particularly those associated with overcoming disabilities I truly believe that you will be inspired and uplifted by Ginny's story. Thanks for being with us.
3: I'm Mark Negley, the host of Survival Alive Thrive, and I have a very special guest here with me today, Ms. Ginny Owens. Ginny, welcome.
0: Thank you. So great to be here with
3: you. Well, it's great to be here, and uh, do I catch you in New York or Nashville, or where are we today?
0: Uh, we are in New York today, yeah, <laughs> so in the, in the thick of spring semester seminary classes, and so got to be at home right now.
3: Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, for yeah. those listeners who are not familiar with uh, Ginny, Ginny is a professional musician, in the contemporary uh, Christian music genre, who has inspired me many, many times when I personally needed it most. She's a book author. Singing in the Dark was released on May 1st this year. Very exciting. As you just mentioned, you're in seminary. You're a busy woman.
0: I I don't get bored ever. (laughs) So (laughs) that's a good thing, I guess, but.
3: (laughs) So of all the things you're working on currently, what, what makes you smile the most?
0: Oh, man. Uh, you know, I just love the variety. I am uh, so loving seminary and just getting to learn. I don't love the paper so much, but I, I truly love uh, just the opportunity to learn and, uh, and to grow in that way. And then also just getting to continue to create music and. Um, getting to write a book was was quite something uh, when you're used to sort of listening to music mixes and critiquing those and those are four and a half minutes long you know the whole uh, editing a book is is quite long it's as you well know takes a long time so just to have gotten through that process um, has brought me much joy just to uh, know that I could do it and to uh, just be able to share a message so it's yeah those are The things currently that are, uh, and and also just, I love New York. So being in New York and um, getting to uh, thrive in the community here has been great.
3: Well, uh, there's a few words that you're using that I want to drill down on right now, but one of them is joy. And it sounds like you have a joy-filled life. Is that that how you feel?
0: You know, it is. Um, I heard... I think he was a uh, uh, maybe a monk, uh, a guy named uh, David steindl I, I think he was on the Krista Tippett podcast one time, but he said that joy is the happiness that does not depend on what happens. And mm. I, I, you know, I think that that joy, in a sense, is deeper than happiness, but it is kind of that that inner smile that's always there. You know, no matter the trial, it's that. Um, and so I, I do feel that I feel like there is a, a deep sense of of happiness uh, that is is sort of soul happiness that um, i'm very very thankful to experience
3: yeah I i love that definition in fact in my book survive alive thrive in the chapter on pursuing joy i quote rick warren's wife who characterizes joy as the assurance that everything will be okay because you know that you're in the hands of a grace-giving God. So no matter your current Amen. life circumstances, the knowledge and assurance that everything will be okay allows you to live a joy-filled life. I thought that was beautiful.
0: Absolutely.
3: But, you know, life is frequently not beautiful, smooth, <laughs> and, and and easygoing, right? And as you know, uh, Survive Alive Thrive is designed to help people who have been through loss and, and challenging life circumstances navigate their way through that process um identify uh, different ideas and steps and and uh methods for rediscovering happiness and transcending that happiness with joy so in your case your journey's not always been easy
0: it has not it has not i guess there are perhaps a few folks in the world who uh Maybe have had an easy journey, but I can't say I really know any of them. <laughs>
3: yes, that, but, that's that's true.
0: Yeah, but no, it it has not. I um, well, first starters, I was born with a degenerative eye condition and lost my eyesight at age three, mm. uh, after a surgery that was actually supposed to improve my vision and turned out it did the opposite. So. I went in with enough sight to learn my colors, and apparently my favorite one was purple, and to you know see my family and, mm-hmm. and to see the things that I love most, and then I came out not being able to see at all. So um, that was uh, something my parents knew could happen, but certainly hoped would not happen.
3: Now, for for your life now, thanks for sharing that that um, part of your journey. Do you have? visual reminders of things when you were a little one that you have seen? Do colors make more sense to you or is that the memories of such a little girl that your your life has effectively been one without eyesight?
0: Yeah. Oddly, I don't remember anything that I could see uh, except in dreams. So mm. a lot of times in dreams, I do remember, uh, I, I, re- I can vaguely remember uh, the things that I could see. But when I wake up, all of that sense is gone. It's very, very unusual. Not sure why that happens. But but yeah, so I, I don't have a lot of visual memory. Um, in fact, it's probably been uh, as an adult that I've learned the most about what the world looks like and what colors look like and um, sort of learned to understand, you know, things like, uh, I, I guess even still very theoretical things like, well, you know, blue is like, cold and you know Hmm. and the sky and you know just the various shades of of, so i I guess i have a sort of theoretical perspective on all of it but but not true experience of it
3: well in the in the survival thrive model um the experience of going through loss and of course this is not your only loss but i want to just drill down on this a bit if you're okay with that yeah um at the survive stage it's effectively in close proximity when you've suffered your loss experience. So there's a lot of different emotions that that are swirling around at that time. Can, can you describe what it was like when you realized that you'd lost your eyesight?
0: You know, I barely remember losing my eyesight. Um, in fact, well, actually, I don't remember that at all. What I do remember is... Um, <laughs> For the next few years, sort of looking around the house and under the couch for my eyes, <laughs> thinking oh, they were gone yes. because, you know, they because they didn't work anymore. and just um, my mom says that I went to bed for about six weeks when we got home from surgery, and then I went back out to play like everything was was normal. Um, and I think for me, the real sort of awakening to not being able to see happened over time. For instance, when I went to school and realized that all the other kids in, in my preschool could see things that I couldn't see, um, I think that was um, it was a little unsettling, but then just even having uh, further experiences in school where you are, are bullied by, by kids, I, I remember um, having multiple experiences uh in the in the lunch room and in the cafeteria in fifth grade where um a a group of girls that i really wanted to be friends with would steal my lunch like out from under me i was i was trying to eat it and they would laugh and they would just have a great time making fun of me and i remember just the um the deep pain of that Um, kids can be be tough yeah Absolutely, absolutely, they can. So that that was always, you know, there's there have been different moments in in every sort of growth season of my life where I've had to go, oh wow, I am different than most everyone I know, and I've had to sort of confront that and and figure out what that means, how to live with it.
3: Well, let me let's let's put this in context. Where were you raised?
0: I was raised in Jackson, Mississippi.
3: Mm. And mm. no, uh, no stranger to heat.
0: Nope, <laughs> definitely <laughs> and, not. Doesn't mean I enjoy it, but no stranger to it for sure.
3: And what was your family life like?
0: Uh, so I grew up. Uh, my parents divorced when I was uh, in elementary school. So I grew up with my mom, living with my mom and my younger brother, JD. Who, um, yeah. So it was. It was the three of us. Um, and I went for most years, I went part-time to a, uh, regular public school and then went part-time to a school for blind students, uh, where I could get resource training and braille training and, and got to participate in some fun things like cheerleading and track and field and different things. So, um, life was very full. Um, but you know, it was, uh, it was also, a bit challenging i mean my mom was you know single parent mom so that she felt the weight of that as did we as kids you know um yeah but but it was you know all in all a, a um lots of joy lots of you know time with grandparents and lots of good kid playing in the dirt stuff too so
3: Oh absolutely well you know i first of all um your book Singing in the dark is, is is a beautiful and inspirational book, and I've really enjoyed it myself and found inspiration there.:
0: Thanks. I feel the same about your book, so thank you.
3: <laughs> well me let me, uh, me kind of go to one of the stories in your your book. You're twelve years old, and you're super excited because now you get to put on makeup, and this is an exciting time, right? But so exciting. <laughs> but it, it it was hard, harder than you thought. It was. So walk us through that, right? I mean, at some point, as uh, the story tells us, you got to a point where you said, forget it. It's too much trouble.
0: I did, yes, and which my very wise mom knew that I would (laughs) get to that point. And so uh, I, I begged for a couple of years to be able to wear makeup, and she finally allowed it. And she said though if you uh, if you want to learn how to put on makeup you have to promise me you're going to put it on regularly um, and she knew that it was going to be hard to learn so she wanted me to commit uh, like you would commit to anything you take lessons in I suppose and so I said of course I'll put it on five times a day just you know <laughs> please just let me do this and so I um, uh, we went to the house of a friend who sold like, Mary Kay or Beauty Control or something. And um, and she began to teach me how to put on the different layers of makeup uh, just so that I would know. And I took four hours and, you know, all of these swiping motions with brushes and sponges and just, it was not enjoyable, especially when you're 12 and you love the idea of looking cool and cute. Mm-hmm. You just don't like the work that it takes. So, um, but I, you know, left with a made up face and I was very Happy about that, though I was exhausted. And then uh, every day for the next, you know, four or five days, I put on what makeup I could. And then mom would help me with the rest or sometimes I ran out of time because I was, you know, getting up for school and I was tired and didn't want to do it all. And so finally, I I told mom that I was really good to just go back to wearing lipstick. And she said, nope, <laughs> this is not how this works. You've mm. got to learn because you're going to need to know how to do this. And if you don't do it, it's going to people are going to think it's because you can't do it. So, um, and she was right, and and she was wonderful about just being very candid with me about the way the world worked and the things that people think, and and not allowing me to be a victim, and just sort of insisting that I, I recognize this is this is where you live, this is this is how people are going to think of you, and that's just how it is. She well, was right. I,
3: I, one of the one of the. Uh, lines in your book that resonated with me relative to that particular story is you, you referred to it as the inner grit that you developed yes. through being forced to persevere through some of these things. Is that right. uh, one of the earlier experiences you can recall of of being challenged to not give up?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, uh, my parents were wonderful about letting me have all kinds of experiences where I wouldn't be allowed to give up. So I took gymnastics when I was very young and learned how to walk on the balance beam. And, you know, it takes a certain amount of inner grit, but it's it's more physical, I guess. Um, and, and also just, um, you know, they just let me figure out how to do things like climb trees or ride my bike. Um, all of those things were were things that they just said, go do it, you know.
3: Where other parents might've stepped in and said, Uh, we need to protect you because of your eyesight. So therefore, we're going to shelter you and not, you you were encouraged to get out and and explore.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So that was a, a tremendous blessing. But then I think when it came to things like makeup or you know learning how to clean the house or uh learning how to match clothes you know those took a bit more skill not just physical strength but skill Mm -hmm. and and they also there was sort of a a narrative that i needed to understand around those things like you must be able to do these things in order to be accepted in the world you know i mean you don't have to but this is how you will be treated if you Uh, if you don't. So I think I uh, had, uh, because I'm an artist type and sensitive, I think I uh, developed pretty early on just an awareness of the world around me. And, and that was a great thing that my mom also began the process of teaching me because like, if you're, if you are blind, you don't know things like uh, what you should do with your head, or Mm. what you should do you know like there are all kinds of things you just don't know about how you should do things in the world like um well a simple example would be you know look at a person when you're talking to them Mm. so um so yeah those were the sort of things that um you know mom had to say you know look don't look at your knee look over here in the direction of my face so simple things like that i had to um learn but and those are great things to learn, but I think they also do give you sort of insight into, oh, the world is watching, so how am I going to behave? And and that sort of led to helping me uh, develop my inner grit.
3: Oh, that's wonderful. And I, I love Christy Nichols' forward where she refers to th- the fact that she forgets that you're blind and that you love that about her. Is that yes. right?
0: Yes, absolutely. I'm so thankful for that.
3: Yeah, so at, when did music come into the uh into the equation? Did you start experimenting a little bit? Was it an outlet? Were you required to sit down? My folks made me sit down and play piano from kindergarten <laughs> through I think 7th grade.
0: <laughs> oh man, yes, fun times. Uh you know, I actually we had an old out of tune reject piano from our church that they were going to get rid of. And my parents said, no, no, we'll take it. So I think I was probably two when it came (laughs) to live at our house and in our dining room. And I immediately found it and found that it made sounds and that you could play the songs that you heard at church or on the radio on it and started playing by ear, I think when I was two. And um not not great. I was no genius, but I could definitely pick out the songs that I was used to hearing. And so after a few years of my mom hearing the same, you know, five songs over and over, she uh, <laughs> sent me to piano lessons, and I thought piano lessons were kind of dreadful because you had to sit for 30 minutes and, you know, do that whole concentrating and learning again, and that was that was hard, but I uh, I took them from five through college <laughs> because God has a sense of humor, so... Uh, They did get better. And um, really, what happened as I sort of went on in piano was that I would find during my practice times at home, I would actually start um, writing my own songs. So I would uh, sit and, you know, practice minuet and G, and then that would inspire some other idea. uh, And I would start writing about whatever was going on in my life. And, uh, so i would just yeah that was that was sort of the beginning of music and uh i loved music i was incredibly shy so though i was always in every choir and i was in high school band and anything i could be a part of i didn't sing often you know sing solos that often because i i mean and when i did it just i think it sounded so terrible i was so nervous mm-hmm. uh so i i didn't do that well but i did love um I did love doing music uh, when I was alone. It was my way of journaling. It was my way of processing the world. Uh, writing songs kind of became the, the way I would you know, create conversations that I was wished I was brave enough to have, but never actually would have those conversations.
3: Well, you went to university, and which university and what did you major in?
0: I went to Belmont University, and I think I was a psychology major for about a week, and then I was a music <laughs> major from then on out, so.
3: Like 90% of Belmont students here in the Nashville exactly. area? Exactly, yes. it's, it's wonderful. And, and you came out with a teacher's license, is that right?
0: A legal one, yes. It actually wow. happened. Yeah. <laughs> Go figure. And
3: So you wrote that you had three goals. One was to be an exceptional, well-loved choral director. Secondly, yeah. to help students love both classical and current music. And then perhaps get a couple of your own songs sung by professionals. How did that plan work out?
0: Yeah, it didn't work out too well. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, what happened? I mean, uh, well, ultimately... it actually
0: worked out way way better in the end. But in my initial plan that I had designed for for God to follow uh, didn't work out so well. Um, I had, um, well, and, and backing up just a bit, I had uh, right before my senior year, I was a, a performance major and an education major. I thought, well, this is just you know, I could just kind of hit two birds and and just do it all. And uh, one of my voice teachers said, you know, Jenny, your voice is just weak, so I don't think you can ever expect to do music for a living. (laughs) And I'm so, you know, I've thought of that story. I I wrote many songs about her (laughs) in the beginning, (laughs) but (laughs) I'm now so thankful because uh, she made my college time shorter. I finished in four years because I dropped my performance major, finished my education major in four years, did my student teaching at that end of that uh, it, it, during my final semester and got done, got out. And um, so I decided to put all my efforts into uh, getting a job as a high school choral teacher, as you mentioned. And so I, um, again, this was one of those times where I didn't realize how uh, how other people viewed blindness or how much of an obstacle it could potentially be. Um, and so I uh, had a decent resume. I had a pretty decent GPA in college and um, had been involved in lots of extracurricular activities. So I sent my resume to different schools and um, administrators seemed uh, excited to meet with me. And then I would show up and they would just kind of freak out. You could just tell uh, the the intensity, the nerves, the awkwardness when I would walk into the room and uh, they wouldn't really know what to say. Um, and they they didn't feel comfortable asking how I would manage a classroom, but, um, so they would, you know, there were many job rejections that I got and they'd say things like, well, you're not a member of the piano teachers guild, or <laughs> I don't know, there are all kinds of unusual <laughs> yes. excuses. And, um, yeah, that was a really, a really difficult time. Cause I, I kept yeah. thinking if I just hold on long enough, something good's going to come out of this. And, uh,
3: well, you know, it's interesting that you could sense the awkwardness in the room, right? And how often our, our senses pick up on uh, being uncomfortable in certain circumstances. And it, it's not always visual cues. You can feel that in a room, can't you?
0: Yes, absolutely. You definitely can. Uh, so
3: yeah. well, let, let me ask the, um, y- you know, as one door shuts after another, right? There's yes. a requirement here that you've already started to learn through your life and perseverance. And many of our listeners have, have you know, suffered um, challenging losses, setbacks. And uh, as we know in the, in the letter from James, um, as, as he writes it in the New Testament, he says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. But it sometimes doesn't feel like that when the door is getting shut in your face.
0: No, nope, it does not.
3: Can you, uh, can you think of uh, maybe uh, an example of some of the most frustrating low points in that experience?
0: Wow, um, you know, it is interesting. They all sort of run together as one big awkward <laughs> moment of closed doors. I, I just remember so many times, uh, y- often my friends were gracious enough to uh, give me a ride to these interviews, and this was the days before Uber and Lyft. And so uh, I just, everyone I would just leave and go, oh man, there's no hope of getting that job. Sure. And so I think in a certain sense, there was um, there was just that over and over again. And I remember during that time, Just really sort of questioning God. I had um, not questioning. Maybe is the wrong word. Uh, Well, maybe it's not. Not sure. I I remember though, you know, sort of having this idea of okay, He's teaching me patience. Uh, He's teaching me to just trust. And you know, like I had all these ideas of what He was doing, and finally, I just was like, I don't, I don't know what you mean for me to learn during this time. Mm. And I, I don't know how to learn it. And I'm so frustrated. And once I got to that point, it was then that I, I think I began to learn it because I think what he began to sort of subtly say to me, or maybe not even subtly, uh, powerfully say to me is this is, this is about surrender. It is about you taking a a step and not knowing what next step you're going to take. And this is how you learn to trust. Um, you know, you can't anticipate the future. You just have to walk along and uh, allow me to lead. And I, I'm definitely, and the older I get, the more I truly become a person that believes that God actually does lead us. He actually does care about every detail of our lives. And and that's important. I think if we think otherwise, it, I don't know, it creates a, I know you talk a lot about God as our friend and I, I do think when we don't think he cares about the details of our lives, it, it creates a void between us, right? And so, mm-hmm. um, so that was a, a a pivotal moment of just learning that that trust really does mean I surrender to the one who can see the big picture and actually does know what's happening tomorrow and ten years down the road. And uh, so that that was a a huge change and uh, a huge. um I began to see the world with with new eyes, in a sense. After that, there were uh, subtle things that were going on around me that were really wonderful and beautiful, and I began to notice them. And uh, yeah, so so life began to change once I was able to kind of let go of what my agenda for God was.
3: Now, that's that's a uh, a, a beautiful way to characterize, I, I think, God's uh, journey with us. And you know, I, I guess the. The, the, one of the your songs that is something that has resonated with me that I've shared with you in the past, which has um, been so important to me um, through my journey, If You Want Me To. And oh, um, that has been uh, something well before I started experiencing loss that, that uh, resonated with me just conceptually, right? The idea that no matter what, and it goes back to our earlier discussion about joy, no matter what life puts in our way and, and whether that's positive because we have some wonderful blessings in our lives or whether it's tough stuff yeah, that we know no matter what I'm going through, I'll go through it because I know that you want me to. Absolutely. So when did that inspiration um, uh, come to you?
0: You know what, it came during that season. Uh, when I finally did begin to let go and to trust that God must n- know what he was doing. He had been doing it for a very, very long, infinite uh, amount of time. I guess time's not infinite. I don't know how that mm-hmm. works, but for <laughs> yeah. infinity, he had been God and I had not been. And so I... Um, yeah that song uh if you want me to was born out of that experience of just the one door after another closing and finally just recognizing okay i the point here is to surrender the point here is to take a deep breath and take the next step and see what happens next
3: well that's beautiful and listeners i would just tell you if you are able to get on a or if you're already on a a song list um or a, a streaming service uh, "If you want me to by Ginny Owens on um, the best of Ginny Owens is a, a, a incredibly inspiring um, and and touching song I can't urge you enough to uh, look in that direction. Um, now you know what's interesting is it, when you were talking earlier about makeup and some of us might say, well, if you don't have eyesight, what do you care about makeup? But it's, it's a way that we all tend to think of how the world sees us, right? Right. And in your mind's eye, you're thinking, boy, I want to look like I think I'm supposed to look and, and, um, and et cetera. Well, I, there's a book that um, I refer to in Survive Alive Thrive written by Ken Boas called Conform to His Image. And one of the elements that I found to be, and it's a big, thick, almost academic book, but effectively he argues that until we start to see ourselves the way God sees us, that we'll continue to not really understand who we are, which is his children. And and ultimately, that image-shifting dynamic was very powerful to me. And it sounds like you're saying, you had a paradigm shift in how you understood yourself.
0: Absolutely. You know, I have that paradigm shift fairly regularly. <laughs> <laughs> yep. it, it continues to happen. It's like, oh, yes, this is the place where I need to live. Um, yeah, I. it is true. And, you know, we can't totally see ourselves the way God sees us, right? Because mm-hmm. he sees so differently. But, but when we can know that we are uh, dearly and deeply and, constantly loved and that I was reading this actually in one of my systematic theology books the other day. We have his undivided attention. It's not like God's given a little attention here and a little attention there to this person and that person and this person over here in this corner of the world. We have all of his attention. And uh to know that and to know that he would then craft us in his image just is so uh life-giving, I think, and also so inspiring for the work that we get to do and the way that we get to pour into other people's lives. You know, if I truly believe I'm made in his image and if I truly can begin to even, I don't know, have a taste of seeing myself the way he sees me, then I can certainly see other people that way as well and love them and encourage them and, you know, have joy no matter what comes my way as well.
3: Yeah. So what? how does God see Ginny Owens?
0: Ah. <sighs> Well, I don't claim to know all of those things, but I do know that he sees me as his dearly loved daughter. Amen. So that's that's what I know.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, there's uh, as, as you're familiar uh, with uh, Bart Millard's uh, "Mercy Me" song, I can only imagine mm-hmm. the idea of the moment that we are in his presence. And it's it's a crazy way to imagine our beginning of eternity with, with Christ. How do you envision that moment?
0: Oh man, I think. Well, I think of it in several ways. One is I just can't imagine what it will be like. You know, do we do we gaze on? Do I? I mean, I I love the the thought that the very next thing I get to see will be Jesus. Mm. And I do wonder, does that mean I gaze on his face? Does that mean his, he is so radiant that I fall down before him? Or does it mean both? Um, but also I just think about how Paul talks about those things in 1 Corinthians 13 mm. and realizing that we're all, you know, this side of heaven, we're all a little bit blind, right? We yep. We're all kind of not seeing the picture clearly we're all seeing kind of a reflection uh but there will be a day like the next moment that we all see perfectly will be when we gaze on Jesus's face or fall before him because we're gazing on his radiance.
3: Yeah, you know it's, it it there's an interesting and I I love that imagery. Thank you. And and it's particularly poignant in the context of your use of the of the word gaze, right? Because You know, the blinders that we are stuck with on earth will be removed and will have, as you say, perfect vision um, in his presence. But in that context, uh, I think that, so here's an idea that I want to share with you. When people go through loss and experience brokenness, particularly losing somebody that they love, um, whether it's a parent or a friend or a sibling or a spouse or or uh, more. And we know that 100% of us um, pass along, right? It's the part of the human condition here. So we're all going through this at some point in some way. But ultimately, many people will reflect on the lost moments that they've had, particularly if it's traumatic um, and difficult, as I've been through some tough stuff. But... They look at that as the worst day of their life, when in fact, the person that they've lost—it's arguably the best day of their life, because we can only imagine that moment as you've as you've stated. So, um, it, I, I love your perspective on being able to uh, think upon your the loss of your eyesight and other challenges and setbacks that, that you've been through as steps along the path that have made you a, a, a better person
0: well i yeah i think there's so many reasons why you know like from the beginning to the end of the bible we hear about suffering i mean we all the psalms are written from by people who who know and, and have experienced real suffering you know whether it's the suffering of war or the agony of loss or um you know of of enemies but we hear like you mentioned earlier then in the new testament of, of people like james you know who are um sort of living in the era of uh, of early christianity and and of persecution and they're saying things like you know, consider it pure joy when we face these trials. And Peter saying the same, and mm-hmm. you don't get the feeling, it, well, you know, it's, I mean, it's in the Bible. It's it's not flippant. It's not like, you know, all of these people are, are they are speaking from a place of having suffered deeply and uh, having found true joy in the midst of that suffering, having found true sort of, sustained balance in the midst of that and uh, and true hope and so I, I don't know I think that's I, I think our 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 beauty uh, our um our wisdom our strength our character is is made uh, through through that suffering
3: yeah I love that and uh, you know you wrote in in your book along that line that when we go through brokenness suffering, um, we tend to block it out, or try to turn up the noise and busy our lives, distract and cope, and and we pretend that the darkness doesn't exist. And your your quote is we we choose not to sing. Th- that's a really interesting um, metaphorical point. You want to talk about that a little bit?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think when when life gets particularly difficult we you know we don't sing uh either any kind of song we just numb our our hearts and therefore our voices so you know maybe we watch a lot of netflix Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe for some of us it's it's a substance um maybe it's a lot of facebook which doesn't numb anything in me so I don't watch Facebook I don't <laughs> I don't get on Facebook yeah. but um you know but what we just um you know to me singing is something that we do to express our hearts uh it's something that we would do when we're when we're joyful um it's something that we do you know it's it's a way of lamenting it's a way of pouring out our sadness uh, but when things are you know often what we choose to do instead is is not sing at all not not be joyful, not be sad, but sort of live, uh, you know, muddling through, uh, trying to sort of keep our our hearts and our voices silent. Yeah,
3: that's that's beautiful. So let's talk about your book and your new album, "Singing in the Dark." What inspired some of the new music? And I, I understand um, the uh, there's two new. Um, individual releases that are part of the album that are are going to be um, that we're going to hear a lot about. What what's happening in that area?
0: Yeah, so um, singing in the dark, uh, finding hope in the songs of scripture, is the book title, and and every chapter is sort of parts of my personal story interwoven with a song, a literal song from the Bible. Well, okay, they're not all literal songs, but they're all from the Bible. There's a mm-hmm. there's a few that I might stretch the, the definition of song a bit, uh, like Philippians <laughs> 4, where Paul's sure. probably not actually singing, although it seems like he is, you know, and he did sing from prison. So Um, as he sings of having the secret of contentment, I, I feel like that sounds like a song I want to sing all the time. So it's, it's literally looking at, at scripture and saying, how, how does this point us toward, uh, our own heart songs? And, and what do we learn about singing, singing through our pain, singing with hope, no matter what we're facing. Uh, so that's essentially what, what the book is about. And the songs were, um, well, and so at the end of every chapter, there is, uh, there's a an excerpt of a, a song lyric and then there's a an opportunity for folks to write their own songs of response based on what they have uh, gained and learned from the chapter and so um, I uh, wrote all the songs kind of based on on what the book was about and and the various songs that we uh that we talk about in the book. So, um, so the album is called Sing Hope in the Darkness. And there is, there's actually a song called Sing in the Dark. And um it's it's really uh an album of uh songs that are, you know, songs for meditation, songs that you could sing uh together with others in a in a group or in, at a church. Uh but they're songs that really reflect on Uh, God's faithfulness in the midst of our suffering, uh, essentially, is what the songs are about. And whether that, or, or, you know, our darkness, whether that darkness is always, you know, literal suffering, uh, literal, you know, disability, something physical, or if it's just, you know, I feel like darkness living in the world is is that we don't have clarity always, right? There's so Mm. many things we don't completely understand. So in that sense, there's darkness, the darkness of, of confusion of mystery so every song really uh sort of tries to i always think if you can sing something you can remember it (laughs) so every Mm -hmm. every song tries to uh think about how we find hope in the midst of in the midst of our darkness
3: so how do you how do you advise somebody who's not a songwriter to engage in trying to write a song (laughs) while being inspired by the uh, chapter
0: Right. Well, I always say um, so. Like one thing that I love to do right now, this is a, a current practice of mine when I'm having Bible and prayer time in the morning, which I have to do in the morning or or late at night, uh, or it won't happen. So usually it's about five a.m. And so a- after I've studied a passage, I will write a song of hope that I want to remember throughout the day. And for me, that's usually one succinct line that I would think of my heart kind of singing all day. So that's not a literal song. So I tell people, you you can write, you know, a line, you can write a prayer, you don't have to write an exact song. So I'm not trying to teach them how to write songs, but more just uh, trying to encourage and inspire people to pour out their hearts into words to God on a page. <laughs> Via via writing,
3: yeah, poetry at some level is an expression of the heart. Yeah, right. You're just you're you're looking for that uh, that opportunity to express what's on your heart. Absolutely. The fact that God is always listening and always with you is uh, is is the the perfect audience um, to to communicate with and is so in the thrive stage of the survive, alive, thrive um, uh, journey. You are living a joy-filled life and experiencing um, the blessings, while at the same time, the the loss and setbacks and challenges of our life are woven into the fabric of our experience. Right? These right. don't go away. They are part of who we are, and 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 has crafted us in it along the way. Um, we talk about giving back as mm-hmm. a, a great way to experience healing and not only helping others which is the the goal right but it's also something that feels pretty good when you're the one who is helping to provide healing and blessings to others
0: absolutely yes
3: is that part of your goal with this with this book
0: uh it is 100% it's part of my goal and it's it's definitely something that i have learned uh, and and very much resonate with um i um some of my favorite kind of experiences that that come to mind as I, as I was even reading reading about that is um, right before I moved from Nashville to New York I helped uh, one of my friends uh, works with refugees that's her full-time job and uh, supporting them and um, I got to help her lead a <laughs> middle school Bible study of girls from uh, several different countries, and uh, just it, it was beautiful and humbling because I learned that these girls had inner grit, uh, I knew not of, and and yet to sort of talk, sit around and and uh, together and talk about um, their lives and their very a- adult problems in some sense, and then to hear them sort of sing at the top of their lungs a song like bless the lord oh my soul you know um you know there's 10,000 reasons that i can praise was just i mean i i was always like okay i can't fall apart uh, every time <laughs> I, sure. I i every time i play music but um i think just giving when you have been through certain suffering and then you do move to a place of giving i think giving always gives back to you too, right, like you're able to see things that maybe mm. you wouldn't have seen before. Like for me, um, one of the ways, and I don't know that <laughs> I don't know that people always see this as is giving, but I think you know, as a songwriter, you tend to be pretty introverted, or most of us are, and you write a lot of songs about the things in your life or the things you'd like to say. And I think over the last few years, one of the things that I have begun to write about and really love writing about is uh, giving voice uh, to the church, uh, helping helping give voice to the church on things that it is is thinking about, uh, or things that different people are thinking about, not just me. So it means I I write songs, you know, for our church congregation to sing and um, for others to sing. So maybe just a a sense of wanting to give uh, some of the joy that I've been given. Uh, wanting to give that away has become very very important
3: yeah well you know thank you for that on behalf of of all of us out there and l- let me uh, ask you uh, the following as we start getting closer to the end of this podcast what advice do you have for people who are currently struggling with loss and difficulties in their life what 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 can you say to them that you think um, you know, you'd be able to share that can bring them hope
2: mm.
0: um, you know I would say for me uh, as a person who uh, you know is is blind but also a person who um, battles a, a degree of anxiety and depression and has had to work through that uh, especially in more acute seasons uh, of that um, at times. Um, I think having habits of hope, you know having practices that we return to daily, um, I think memorizing scripture, uh, reading scripture, um, but especially just memorizing, uh, it, it is powerful. Uh, speaking words of truth uh, over your life or, or, and speaking words that uh, are beautiful and, and are hopeful over your life. Praying those words, you'll be amazed how often they come to you. But even just having that time of prayer and reading and meditation that you return to each day, Um, Having a trusted friend, even if it's just one that you return to, you know, as uh, multiple times a week or once a week or as often as you can. Uh, Having those songs that give you hope, maybe your playlist of hopeful songs that you continue to return to. But I think it really is about, I don't know, I think in our, our fast paced world, we can just get tossed about by the wind if we don't have sort of these grounding practices um, that help us, you know, sort of stay centered, and um, and can kind of remind us that no matter what we're facing, uh, there is truth uh, outside of us. There's truth that uh, can guide us and um, can strengthen us. So, yeah, I would say developing those uh, kind of habits uh, will begin to um, build into into you I mean that's been my experience is that the more I rely on those practices the more they really do lift my heart and soul and give me joy when I need it when I'm not feeling so joyful um, they just kind of help you know maintain kind of evenness Uh, so I I'm definitely a fan of that and and also just having those people um, you know that you that you trust that you can uh, tell your story to uh, no matter what that story is, I think that's so important as well
3: yeah sharing is is such an incredible um, healing agent um, particularly mm-hmm. with those that you know are empathetic and and are uh, good listeners and most of us who have been through tough stuff um, fit that category so as you share with others there's healing that takes place dynamically absolutely and in fact my my wife is a a board-certified psych and mental health nurse practitioner with a PhD in nutrition and preventative health. And um, Malin, who is a featured um, expert on our nonprofit website, survivealivethrive.org, oftentimes talks about uh, discipline and organization and healthy habits that can be Mm -hmm. very practical, such as sleep routines and uh, eating properly and, right. um, and uh, other uh, exercise and, and things that bring us order and, and routine. And I love the fact that you're adding the regular um, study of Scripture and time in the Word of God as, as part of that routine. Very powerful.
0: But I couldn't make it without that. So.
3: Hey, amen. So Ginny, thanks again for uh, being a guest here on the Survive Alive Thrive podcast. And boy, what an incredible story and, and journey that you've been on as you've navigated loss to find yourself living a joy-filled life. So thank you so much for you know blessing our listeners with your story.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Mark. It's been great to, to be with you and have so enjoyed uh, Learning from you and and hearing your story as well.
3: Well, you've been again a great blessing to me. Thank you so much, and listeners again, don't forget Jenny's book "Singing in the Dark" is available, bookstores everywhere, Amazon, and look for her uh, her new album "Sing Hope in the Darkness." Um, just really inspirational stuff coming from an extraordinary uh, woman and and woman of God. So. Um, again, Jenny, thank you so much. God bless you. And I'll look forward to uh, reconnecting again soon.
2: Sounds super. I'm Dr. Malin Galbraith. Thank you for joining us on the journey to hope, happiness, and joy. It's our privilege to spend time with you.
1: And I'm Mark Negley. Remember that no matter what your situation, you are not alone and you can experience a joy-filled life.